we get jumped in, I thought I'd kind of lead in with a story. Uh, so I got wrangled into uh, coaching city soccer. And if you know me uh, and know my uh, convictions about sports, you may know I absolutely hate soccer. And uh, there's something about soccer for me, uh, especially with the men. It's, uh, I've told people when I lived in Europe that uh, as an American, soccer is a sport for women and children. Uh, that didn't take over too well. Uh, but um, I don't like soccer because you kind of watch the game. It's incredibly long. And every so often, people just fall down and cry like they got hit in the kneecap with a baseball bat. And so there's just something about that that I just I never got into soccer. Um, but my kids in the first and second grade, they needed a coach. And so they sent the parents out that guilt trip email if you've ever been a part of city sports. If we don't have enough coaches, we're going to have to cancel the whole season. Um, I'm not sure they've ever done that, all right? And so at some point, we're going to have to band together and call their bluff. Um, but, so I kind of got wrangled into to soccer. I know nothing about the sport, right? I know you can't use your hands. Goals are good. And so uh, I, I have these kids uh, that I've gathered together on my soccer team, and it's just... I. I was, it's just been awesome, mainly because I get to give speeches before and after games, uh, speeches like, we're not here to have fun, we're here to win, all right? You know what I mean? If your parents come over here and say, we're here to have fun, they're wrong, all right? We're here to score goals, people, maximum goals, all right? We don't have a winning record. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there, all right? At least three of the losses are directly my fault. And <laughs> at first, I didn't have any concept of it. So I just, I just Googled it. Like, I literally went to YouTube. It's like, how to coach seven, eight, six, seven, eight-year-old soccer players. The parents think I'm some sort of genius coach because I've, like, stole a bunch of YouTube videos about coaching. All right? And, but once we got out there, it was very clear that my strategies do not work. All right? Like the first game, they scored three goals on us before I was like, you know, we should probably put some people back on defense. Um, and so I'm trying to I, I just yell at my kids, and I really hope the parents forgive me. Um, you know, it's like we have so many kids. Some of the parents, which is crazy, is that they played like college soccer. Like both parents played college soccer. And I'm like, what am I doing coaching this thing? And, and so I'm yelling at the kids, trying to get them in position. It's a lot like herding cats right? And, and there's, there's a lot of uh, chaos that happens in the mi middle of it. But in my mind, I'm trying to get them in position to maximize our effectiveness to win, right? And so I'm yelling at them to run and kick the ball and get here, don't go there, like this, like quit staring out at space, Noah Lazari, right? I was like, Noah, if I see you looking for aliens one more time or for Jesus' return, I'm yanking you out the game, brother. I don't care if we go to church together, all right? And so I, I've, <laughs> I've just had to, like, change what we're doing, and I'm trying to get people to wake up and get the ball and do this stuff. Strategy. And the reason I tell that story is what seems good for me for strategy apparently does not translate to wins, and that's kind of similar to what we're going to look at in Mark 5 because Jesus is going to move around 
in ways, if I was to be completely honest, I wouldn't move. Or he's going to take a little mission trip over here that I'm not sure that I would take. He's going to position himself in ways like I, I'm just not sure apart from the Holy Spirit leading our church would ever move like Jesus moves. He's going to leave a crowd of thousands of people and cross a sea for one. Now that doesn't sound like good math to me. And I, I did old school math. I'm not even common core here, alright? But that math is a little, a little funky for me. How are you going to have thousands of people ready to hear what you have to say and listen and learn and you're going to go across the sea for a guy like we're going to look at today? makes no sense to me. Unless you understand the gospel. Unless you understand the heart of God, the strategy of God, the sacrifice of God, and that Jesus is always after the one. One soul at a time, one life at a time, and he'll cross a storm-covered sea to get them. I mean, that's the gospel. So, um, as, as much as we think in practical terms as Americans, and as pragmatic as we can, I think we need to maybe step back and see God doing um, mysterious Holy Spirit-empowered things that are going to have repercussions we won't see. We just have to trust Him. Okay? So, let's pray and ask for God's help. And... Uh, Believe maybe that God wants to move us like this or reach us like this. Would you bow your hearts and minds? Maybe before we even pray here, we would take a moment of reflection. Whatever your plans are for the rest of the day, can you let them be some other time? And can you just be here for a second and sit under the word? I don't know what kind of distractions you got. You probably woke up today and you're just happy your kids are clothed and their teeth are brushed and you got food cooking, you got other things, but can you just pause here and invite God to come and to teach you and to not waste the space that you have right now to meet your Creator in His Word? Could you pray? Could you reset your palate that is so satisfied on the world and ask God to just give you fresh eyes, fresh ears to hear? Our Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Teach us here in your word the ways of heaven. Teach them to a bunch of people that are so saturated with the world that we struggle with your ways. God, come and open our eyes and open our hearts to your word in ways apart from your Holy Spirit we would never be open. God, would you deflate pride in here bring supernatural humility to have faith to receive your word that it might bear much fruit in our lives God help us to see you in the text your heart in the text your will in the text your glory in the text we're not here for tips 
We're here to see you. God, would you help us to accurately see who we are in this text and what you've done to rescue us and to save us? God, would you do those two simultaneous things that we might respond in worship? God, I pray uh, for my brothers and sisters as Satan tempts them to be someplace else thinking about something else. God, would you center them right here in your word? Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Enable us. Empower us. Give us your grace, Father. um, That we might be your people at this place and at this time. Father, we pray that. We beg that. In the strong name of Jesus, everyone said, Amen. Mark chapter 5, if you've got a Bible, I hope you do. Um, Flip it open, turn it on. Let's get there. If you were here last week, um, that context is important for us. All right? Let's look at the first, and then I'll kind of tell you why. First few verses. Chapter 5, starting verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea. And to the country of Gerasenes. If you're Spanish, I'm probably sure you could uh, pronounce that better. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately. So immediately he steps out, immediately. There met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. All right? And he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles into pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying and cutting himself with stones. So let's pause here for a second. What just happened is Jesus calmed the storm. Y'all remember that from last week, right? And so we talked about... Jesus is the one who had the idea to get in the boats and cross the other side. The storms that we face in life, many of them are God's ideas here, right? So he says, Jesus is the one that prompts him and says, let us go to the other side. Then our brother takes a nap in the boat, right? And so Jesus invites us into the storm because there's a way in which we will know him in the storm that we'll never know him in calm seas. So they get in the boat and they go through a storm and they go through this thing with Jesus and a lot of us, we kind of stop there. But the boat, it keeps going and they're going to go to the east side. Now this is at the Sea of Galilee. The west side, which is towards the Mediterranean Sea, is predominantly Jewish. It's also greener. There's more crops there. You could, you could go to that side and uh, many of the people that were coming to Jesus and hearing him would have been Jewish. And so he's teaching there. He's healing there. So that's on the west side. They go across through the storm to the east side. On the east side is the Decapolis. This was a region that was conquered kind of time and again from the Greeks and stuff. If you hear the word Decapolis, you probably could guess that's not a Hebrew name. Deca, meaning ten, and polis, meaning city, like if you follow uh, D.C. stuff, like metropolis, polis, meaning city, was a ten-city kind of region on the east side that had been settled, invaded, if you will, by Gentiles. So Jesus leaves the west side, goes through the storm with his disciples. If you're a disciple landing on the east side, having left thousands of people 
and survive dang near drowning, wouldn't you think whatever's awaiting us over there, it's got to be big? Right? I mean, we, we ha- if we left a crowd of 5,000 and he's maneuvering us strategically, right? And, he, and even this, we survived a storm, right? When we get to this east side, we about to, it's about to be big. They step out of the boat and this homeboy's waiting for them. That's it. In Matthew's account, we know there's actually two demon-possessed ones, but one takes the predominant interaction with Jesus. Luke's account, you can look at these in Matthew 8 and Luke 8, um, Luke's account says that he was naked, which makes sense because later he's going to be clothed. Why would they give that detail if, in fact, he's not naked? So here's the deal. Could you imagine, we said this, half, we, we often think the disciples are comfortable with boats. Half of them were not sailors. Matthew left a tax, Levi left a tax collector job, right? Like, I left a desk job to get drowned in the sea. Could you imagine them crawling off of the boat being like, kissing the land, we're so glad to be here. Now we're here, God, use us. And they look up and there's a naked demon-possessed guy. And you're like, immediately stepping out of the boat is this guy who lived among the tombs. Now, in Israel, they cut their graves out of limestone or there were natural caves. And so these natural caves or limestone dugouts were places where they would bury their dead. This, this cat had been pushed to live among death. He'd been pushed to live among death. He's a squatter in a homeless camp. Right? And isn't this what's happening in Durango? It's on the other side of Walmart. Right? It's a good place to step on a syringe. Just saying. And what is it next to? We'll read later. It's next to a pig farm. So what does he live? He lives in a graveyard next to what the Jews would equate as, what, a dump? Have you been to a pig farm? Right? He's in proximity to some pigs getting raised. All right? Some of you are like, I raised pigs in FFA. And you have, they are precious. All right? Yeah, when they become bacon. Here comes a homeless guy, naked, crazy, with a legion, which we, we'll learn here later. He, he's going to go by legion, which means there are many demons in there. A legion of military troops was around 6,000 that's in there. So, and, and he's cutting himself, right? So he's like full emo here, and he's suicidal. And when people tried to bind him, he could wrench the chains apart. I don't know, so he's strong? I, I, I don't know if that's supernatural or, you know, he's just messed up, right? Like if this was here today, okay, let's all kind of like cross in our day. If we saw this in our parking lot, We'd be like, that crackhead got a hold of the wrong stuff, right? Some of you from the 60s, what is he on, LSD, right? What, what, what is this guy on? And so we would begin to explain it away with maybe psychology. I've said this to you once and I'll say it again. The word psyche and psychology, ology meaning the study of, psyche is the Greek word for soul, All that psychology is trying to get down to is why does man operate this way? The mechanics of it. They don't get down to the deepest realities of what's messing us up and what drives us in those sorts of things. 
They merely look at how we act. They look at the expressions of the soul in psychology and soulology. They, they don't actually get down to the roots. And so let me ask you, if you're the disciples, right? And, and we'll learn later, they're going to reach this guy and leave. That's it. You leave everything that was happening on the west side. Ministry was, was banging. It was revival. People getting, getting the word preached to them. Some getting hardened. Some getting softened. Things are happening. You go through a storm and you, you roll up on this. Don't you have some questions for Jesus? Right? This is your idea of what is strategic. A Gentile, likely, who's insane. And, and, and even this, is like we see the culture trying to fix him, but can't. Like, when you get to someone that their heart is like this, and you can't fix him, you just try to restrain him. Right? You just try to restrain him. We put, a lot of times we talk about, why don't we see these types of things today? I always argue, you aren't looking. Right? Because in our society, we put these people in facilities. We put them in prisons. We put enough drugs in their system that their bodies just like veg out, right? But I promise you, if, if you walk in the kingdom long enough, you will see people there this way. Or let me just back it up to pop culture. You don't get a Charles Manson simply because someone's dad didn't show up to their soccer games. Like, we want to explain away Charles Manson because his daddy didn't say that he loved him. Let me say, there is something next level about the Charles Mansons in our society. How about the Ted Bundys? Right? Well, we, we don't want to look at that. Well, what are we talking about except the demonic trying to cause them to violate and do violence to the image of God in others? What is he doing here in cutting himself? And what is... Are, are people that cut themselves, whether they're teenagers or olders, or those that do suicide today, they are trying to destroy the image of God in themselves. A hatred for God so much that it even destroys the image of God they bear. What is Ted Bundy, what is Charles Manson doing? They're destroying the image of God in others when they murder. What are we doing, Matt, when, when we talk about uh, abortion? And why that is so heartbreaking for us, because those are image bearers of God. And so he is, if you can't fix him, you at least try to limit him. But medicine can't fix him, and jails can't hold him. You could give him all the education that you want, and you'll just make a more sophisticated sinner. Handcuffs and straitjackets don't fix hearts. Now, I, listen, I get it. I'm for jails, all right? I know this is old school. I'm also for police. Weird, all right? Like, I, I, we try to limit in government the, the, the sinfulness of man and how it is expressed and hurts other people. There's nothing wrong with trying to limit how much sinners do that. But at the core, until their heart is transformed, you, let me say this. Have you ever had someone that you love so much and they were in a sin that just was so destructive for them? Right? Like it was just poisonous for them. And you realize, like, we could chain this person to a tree, 
But if they want to do evil, there's no stopping them from doing that evil. Have you ever felt limited in how you can stop someone from doing something so terrible for themselves or for others? Like, at some point, if God don't get a hold of your heart, our church can't chain you to a tree to stop you from chasing after that big piece of stupid you do. Right? This is why we pray. This is why we speak truth, because we know if God gets a hold of your heart, it'll do on the inside of you what chains cannot do on the outside of you. So they, they, they can't fix him, so they just try to limit him. And I get that, and, and at some point they gave up, right? Because it says that he broke the chains. I don't know if he's doing Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, Houdini. Billy the Kid had small hands, big wrists, so I guess he's... But it sounds like he wrenched it off kind of thing, like... And at some point, they never put the chains back. It's like, dude, we gave it a shot, but just let him live up there. They just kind of like, they, they resolved to kick him out of normal society and just to create enough distance to where we don't have to look at it. Right? Plus, I don't know exactly who wants to wrangle a naked guy full of 6,000 demons. Just be, I'm not volunteering, if that's what you're asking. It's like, we need a new pair of handcuffs up on that guy in the tombs. It's like, well, I got a lot of people I would gladly volunteer that's not named me. Right? So here's the thing. He is a picture of pagan Gentile insanity and what, it se- what sets in when we fully abandon God. I, I, I would even put it like this for y'all that are familiar with the Old Testament. He's a remix of Nebuchadnezzar who falls down and becomes animal. And, and this is the trajectory of our culture where we abandon reason and we become even less than animals in the things that we do. Today, I, if we were diagnosing this, I, I looked this up. Some would say that he is a manic depressive uh, psychosis inside of him. 50 years ago, they would have called him this real scientific word called crazy. Right? Crazy used to be this junk drawer. We just put everybody in there, right? It's like, you got a problem like this? You are crazy, right? He, he's the, uh, if you've ever lived and grown up in a small town, there's sometimes this crazy, infamous crazy person uh, that, like, everybody in the town knew. And here's the problem. What he is, is not merely a mental disorder. And the Bible will tell that. I thought Austin Krokos did a great job how the Bible will talk about there's certain things that are physical, biological things that go on, that Jesus heals those things. And there's certain things that are spiritual in nature and demonic. And it makes a differentiation inside of Scripture. And so for him, it's not merely just a mental disorder. There is something spiritual. There is something unclean and spiritual at work in this dude. Now, let's pause that and take a, take a, kind of back up and say how this is complicated for us from 2021 looking at this. It's because we don't think anything is spiritual. Right? And when we do, we think wrongly about it. So when I... Let, let's just talk Satan demons. The idea that Satan was red, had a pitchfork, hooves, and that sort of stuff was a medieval uh, con- uh, conjecture 
made by Christians who wanted to, because Satan is so prideful, that led to his downfall, they wanted to mock Satan, so they made Satan out to look like a fool. You give that about 500 years of traction, and now people think that's actually the way Satan is. With a tail and a pitchfork, and he's red and horns. And in so doing, they don't understand the deviousness of their enemy. Or this, when it comes to Satan possession... Like, the only thing that I could say is, like, I was much more informed by movies than I was uh, the Bible, right? Anybody seen The Exorcist, right? Well, it got real quiet. That was weird. Um, no. Uh, the Exorcism of Emily Rose. So we, we could go through these movies. It's like, no, y'all are way too Christian for all that. Uh, please don't, all right? But, like, here's the thing that I know about every Exorcist movie that I've seen. There's going to be a demon in there. And at some point, it's always a priest. There's never Protestants that go up against demons. Has anybody noticed that? It's like the demons just love Roman Catholicism, apparently. I don't know. And they're going to roll that, that priest in there, like Father, Father Steve. He's going to go in there. And if guaranteed, if there's one person that's going to die in the movie, definitely the priest. Right? He's got no chance. Right? And he goes in there, and the demon just wrecks him. And they've got to, got to figure out what, what to do with this person that crawls on the ceilings. So for me, just being honest, as a media kid that grew up in America, that has informed me much more than the Bible. Um, or because in the Bible, when demons come to Jesus here, they bow and beg. Right? They, they're, they're, like... Do you, have you read the book of Revelation that the most epic battle in history is kind of anticlimactic? It's not very ep epic. Jesus just smokes everybody with a word. Like, it's not like, oh, it's close. Who knows who's going to win? Jesus is like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, it's over. Like, there is no... Satan and God are not opposites in the sense of being equal. The Scripture does not have that view of the demonic. The demonic is subservient to God and His plan. Let me put it to you like this. In the demonic, um, like growing up, I've heard, if you listen to Pink Floyd backwards while watching like The Wizard of Oz, like Satan, he's got a message for you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Which is so funny, though, I've, only seen, I've actually seen Pink Floyd in concert, and it's actually really close to here. It was in Israel. Another story, another time. How about this? People say, if you listen to Jay-Z, I've got to do a different generation here. You listen to Jay-Z backwards, that there's like a satanic message. If you listen, y'all know who Jay-Z is, anybody? Like four of you, it's good. I know it's in your car, all right? You listen to Jay-Z backwards, and it's, you'll hear a message from Satan. Anybody listen, heard this kind of stuff before? I always, it's, it's crazy to me. Listen to Jay-Z forward, and it's satanic. Right? It's like, I'm, I'm doing drugs. I'm killing people. I'm sleeping around. It's like, if you take what is good and virtuous, flip it upside down and put it to a beat, you know what I mean? It's Jay-Z, all right? And so I, I don't get all that, but that's much more, I'm so worried about playing songs backwards and not worried about unclean spirits that lead people to do unclean things. I, like, I have a view of it that is so 
secular and so unbiblical that when I come to the Bible, this doesn't look like any way the movies or the music or pop culture makes it out to be, is it? That the demon's just going to fall at the feet of Jesus? I, I don't... He's got to... Play it forward and you'll know. America, let me ask you this. How many more children do we have to sacrifice? Before you believe that we got a spiritual problem. Right? How many more other things before God are we going to worship before we realize we got a spiritual problem? Right? How many more suicides? Listen, what are we, the second leading state next to Alaska? They don't even have sunlight in Alaska. All right? We're second leading in suicides here. How many more suicides do we need? How much more cutting do we need in our schools before we realize we've got a demonic problem? And it's not like the movies. It's like unclean spirits cheerleading unclean things, prompting, encouraging, pushing. See, if we get our lives dug down deep into sin, unclean spirits find a home there. But you can't say that today because we believe in science. Do we believe in science? We don't even know what a boy and a girl is anymore. And in our town, you can put hormones inside a boy to make him a girl and hormones in a boy to make him a girl to make him a boy. So, because we're so scientific. Right? Like it makes an absolute... How much more sin are we going to popularize and make into law before we realize we got a spiritual problem? He ain't got... He, his mental problems are down the line compared to the demonic problem he has. So let me say this so that we understand how God is rebuking us. Our subjugation to the demonic is the judgment of God against our sin. Which, our sin which chooses them over Him. Our subjugation to the demonic in this fallen world is a part of the judgment of God. That's why down later in verse 19, His deliverance is going to be called mercy. Unmerited favor, grace. Our subjugation to the demonic is the judgment of God against our sin that chooses them over Him. And His deliverance will be a mercy. I love what First John says is that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Right? This is... Okay, let me, let me give you a couple scriptures just, just to drive this home. Follow with me. If you're a house church leader or in-house church, write these down because I want you to look at them. First one, Colossians 1.13. To let you know, our world is under the reign of Satan being invaded by Christ. Here it is. He has delivered us, Colossians 1.13, from the domain of darkness. That's your world. And transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. So, that domain of darkness is here. And if you are a Christian, you've been rescued out of that and delivered into the kingdom of His Son. 2 Timothy 2, 24-26. 
It's talking about a, a Christian leader. But listen how Christian leaders are meant to conduct themselves, are to approach and to serve other people. Listen to this. The Lord's servant, verse 24 of 2 Timothy 2, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but, must, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Every lost person you know has been caught in the booby trap of Satan to do his will. They may not know it, but that's the reality that all of us have been in. And God rescued us out of that trap. And it says that if you're going to be a good leader and a good minister, you've got to understand that you are not just battling liberals in Durango, that there's a spiritual force that's behind that. Or a conservatism that just wants the 1950s but wants nothing to do with Jesus. You are not just battling spiritual people. You're, there's spiritual realities behind them that you are at war with. Ephesians 2, 1-10. through 10. Ephesians 2, 1-10. through 10. I hope you get this. Um, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air. That's Satan. The Bible says that every one of us at one time were following Satan. Right? You didn't have to go to some sort of like witch rituals or any of that sort of stuff. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. If you are walking in disobedience to God, that spirit that is leading you in that disobedience is demonic. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Did that just not point out to you that all of mankind is serving the flesh and sin and the devil. But God being rich in mercy, mercy like what He has for this guy here, because of the great love by which He loved us, loved us, even as we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated with us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. You are not exercising your own demons. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's prepared the Decapolis for this dude in chapter 5 of Mark. We'll get to there in a second. 1 John 3.8 Whoever, 1 John 3.8 Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Listen, that's not my point. That's the Bible saying that. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That when we see sin, we go in league with him. 
Next part. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Y'all remember when we talked about the parable that Jesus did about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And he says, how can you take down and plunder a strong man unless you first bind the strong man? And then you may go into his house and plunder what he has. The imagery there is Jesus and his church are a SWAT team kicking in the door of the earth to every nation, tribe, and tongue and going in and rescuing people as their plunder. What we are seeing after he taught that in chapter 3, verse 27, um, what we, he taught that in 327, what we see him is doing it in chapter 5. This dude is the plunder of God. That he is destroying the works of the devil in his life and rescuing him for his own purposes and glory. Isn't that wild? Exactly what the Bible teaches from cover to cover. Before you can bow before Jesus, your demons must bow before Jesus. Before you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, you must be emptied of that which is unclean inside you. And so, the parable of the plunder is happening right here. This is Jesus' Normandy invasion of the earth. And let me tell you, church, it's still going on. We're taking ground all over the earth. All over the earth. Look down verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, fell down before him. Is that how you see the demonic activity in La Plata County? That where Jesus is exalted and lifted up, the demonic bows. Crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? We've said this kind of over and again. Um, Demons know. Man gets confused. Pharisees get confused. Scribes get confused. Disciples get confused. Who is Jesus? Demons have crystal clear understanding of exactly who He is. I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. Now, in Luke's account, it will also talk about the abyss, uh, which is there, which is the pit, which is basically like the waiting room of hell. He's like, don't send me to the abyss, the waiting room of hell, for the end times where I will be in torment. Basically, he's surprised. He's like, are you here to torment me before the end? I thought I had more time. I thought I got to like wreck lives a little bit more. Is it already the end? Is it the end? So there's things at which he knows the torment and the pit is coming. And yet, at the same time, he doesn't know everything about the will of God and the plan of God and the timing of God. Okay? So are you here to torment me? For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now I reference this, a legion in Roman uh, military units could have been around 6,000 soldiers. There is this thing that's going on that the demon is trying to do in invoking the name of Jesus of exercising authority over him. And so he's adjuring him. It's a plea bargain, but he's trying to manipulate the authority of Jesus and Jesus will not be invoked by them. Matter of fact, the demons are used by God. They're not, God is not used by the demons. And so they kind of do this chess match thing with names that I don't have enough time to get into. But we see here a begging demon and he begged him earnestly, verse 10, not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs 
let us enter them. So let me say this. The demonic, just like sinners, do sin of their own will and volition, but God in His infinite wisdom and sovereignty manipulates or works that together for His purposes and glory. This is exactly the same thing that Joseph says about his brothers when they sin against him. What you meant for evil, God has worked for good. What demons mean for evil, God works for good. And so we don't see them as two opposing forces. It's not like, this is not the Sith against the Jedi. Right? There is a sovereign Lord and there are subservient everything else. All right? And so they begged him, don't send us out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs and let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000. Now one scholar I read said this would have been equivalent about a quarter of a million to half... Uh, $250,000, $500,000, somewhere around in there, of value at that time. This was before inflation. So who knows if that number is going to be good five months from now. All right. Uh, Numbering 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned into the sea. I mean, can you you picture this in your mind? 2,000 pigs full of demons, becoming Baconators, right? Plunging in the sea. Could you imagine the man that is delivered from them knowing I had all that in me and someone else took it in my place? The death, I I could have rushed myself. I was heading for that cliff myself and what was there to kill me was put on another. Now, They're cast out and put into the demons or into the pigs. And they become these kind of demon pigs that are going in. Which, I want that context because verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. A couple observations. We've seen disease obeys Jesus. We've seen nature, a hurricane, a storm obeys Jesus. And now we see the demonic obeys Jesus. This almost begs a question of why don't you? They come and they see what has happened. And they came to saw Jesus and the man demon-possessed who had the legion sitting there clothed Right? That's a first. And in his right mind, and they were afraid. It's exactly what we talked about when we get up close to holiness, we want to create distance. They were afraid. Um, I think this is one of the most wild verses. And those who had seen it described what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs... And they beg Jesus to depart from their region. Isn't that wild? We think that if Jesus came into La Plata County, everybody would welcome him. But when Jesus starts doing Jesus stuff, they ask him to leave. 
When Jesus starts doing Jesus stuff, there's some that will ask him to leave. Did you ever read that in your Bible? They ask him to leave. You start representing Christ in your workplace, they may ask you to leave or help you along. You start representing Christ on universities, just ask our universities, are they not trying to kick Jesus I, I'm, I talked to multiple people working in college ministry around the U.S. this week, some of my former college students, and universities do not want Christian organizations on their campuses. They're asking them to leave. You start doing Jesus stuff, they're going to ask, they ask Jesus, they don't want Jesus there. There's a sense in which they care more about the money lost from pigs than they care about a man that's been tormented his whole life by that demon. We care more about, look at how much our economy is going to suffer because, but, but yeah, but isn't that guy free? Isn't he free? Do you care about him being set free? And they beg Jesus to depart from their region. They're trying to cast out Jesus the same way Jesus cast out the demons. And as he was getting into the boat, now I love, I, I just love this picture. As he was getting in the boat, the man that had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Right? So it's like uh, if you've ever had a dog in a pickup truck. I mean, he's with his master and he's like, all right, Jesus, let's load up. Right? And you could just see like Judas being like, we're taking Gentile naked guy with us. Right? Homeboy, I could just see him running and getting in the boat before the other disciples. And Jesus is like, yeah, about that. Um, right? Like he's, he's with his master. He's got freedom. Where else does he want to go? Jesus has other plans for him though. Listen to this. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home. Go home. Now that's, for some of us, not what we want Jesus to tell us. No, Jesus, let's go to India and preach the gospel. Let's go to some radical, some powerful ministry. Let's have big events in stadiums. Let's go to this. And Jesus is like, go home to your friends. Go home to your family. Go home to your co-workers. We're going to start at home. Your first ministry begins at home. We talked about this even weeks ago. Some of us, if we have to go to Bangladesh and preach Jesus to strangers, we would be strangely bolder than if we had to go to Thanksgiving and share the gospel with family members. Right? How about this? We can be bolder sometimes with complete strangers than friends we've known for 20 years even though we know in all of our soul God's telling us that they need Jesus. We know they need Jesus. But because they're our friends or because they're our family, like it, we just, it, it gets, it get, we get stuck in ways we don't get stuck with strangers. Do you hear what I'm saying? He tells him to go home. You know how often, and let me take this in my context, as someone that's in ministry, how easy it is for me to care about people that are outside my home first. And Jesus tells me, start with my wife and kids. Move out to my friends and then extend out to the ends of the earth. There is no problem with doing missions to the ends of the earth. We're going to Guatemala. We're for it. It's not an either or. It's a both and. But one comes before the other. 
Do you hear what I'm saying? What good is it if we are great Christians for our community and for the nations, but we don't reach people that live in the same house as us? Do you hear what I'm saying? He tells him to go home. Some of us need to hear that. Some of us have a phone call with a family member, a friend, and a coworker that's months, if not years, overdue. Right? And we'd much rather get in the boat with Jesus and go over to a bunch of strangers. Go home. I'm, I'm going to tell you, there's a verse. I didn't plan this in my notes. I, there's a verse that talks about, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Be angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger because you don't want to give Satan a foothold. It's a curious verse. That somehow we can get so up in our feelings and emotions and anger that like we can let Satan get up in our business. Now, I don't believe Christians can be possessed because we are already indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But we can be pushed, influenced, moved by the demonic. Okay? So, like, the Scripture is going to teach that when we get in anger, which there's righteous anger and there's bad anger, like, we can give Satan a foothold in our lives. This week, I got so upset about something, and I could not, I could not shake it. I was so frustrated, I was so upset, and I got up in my feelings, and all of a sudden, I, I just knew, like, I could, there just, Satan had a foothold in my life. And I'm trying to dig that foothold out, you know what I mean? Have you been there? Where you just can't, you, you can't get out of your own way, you can't get it off your chest, you can't get it off your mind. Every time you try to think about something, you, you keep going back to there. And the, the crazy thing is for that, is that I still have ministry that i got to do to go serve other people. And yet God's telling me, it's like, no, 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 no. Start at home. Deal with that. And to be honest with you, that's the last stinking thing I wanted to do. Sometimes I think that's why you'll know the Holy Spirit's working on your life because He's going to call you to do a bunch of stuff that you would never be telling yourself to do. Amen or oh me? Go home. Until you get that done, until this, don't worry about that. We'll get to that if we can get to this first. Okay. So, he says, go home. <laughs> to your friends. That's hilarious to me. Could you imagine the kind of friends this cat has? <laughs> You're, remember the guys you did drugs with? Remember the people you used to party with, you used to sleep around with? Remember the people that you used to do this with, that with? The unclean things you got involved with? So go start with those people. I remember when I first got saved, you know, I was partying really hard in and, 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 and that scene. And I really felt the Holy Spirit told me to go to those people and it's the first people I needed to witness to that God had done something in my life. I remember going in a house full of people that were doing drugs and partying, same place that I had been just months before, and walking in there saying, listen, I don't know how to say this right. I don't know how to lead into it. I know y'all about to do this thing. God got a hold of my life and I just can't be here no more. Matter of fact, I'm on probation. All right? But if you want to hear about what God's done in my life, I'd love to talk to you about it. Out of that group, a couple people came to the Lord. You know what I mean? I think Jesus saves tax collectors like Matthew 
out of a harvest, the very next thing, he turns around the next story, Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors. Well, how did he meet all those tax collectors? Because he saved Matthew out of it, and then he sent Matthew right back into it. Go home and tell your friends. What kind of friends he got? Other naked people hopped up on drugs? I mean, other prisoners? I mean, what, I mean, who? I love the idea about who is, who is Jesus starting out with here to reach? This is the inauguration, by the way, some would say, of the very Gentile mission. God says, you know what? I'm going to reach a bunch of pagan Gentiles. Give me their most demon-possessed dude. Right? And send him and listen to what he tells them to do. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. I love that. You want to know how to witness to your friends? Tell them how much God's done for you and how he had mercy on you. That is, you are an undeserving sinner that he showed gospel grace to by dying on the cross for your sins. Go to them and tell them how much God's done and tell them how he's had mercy on you. Right? And he went away and began to declare in the Decapolis, the ten city region of the Gentiles, how much Jesus had done for them and everyone marveled. Jesus got him a missionary. Then... And when Jesus had crossed again the boat to the other side, that's verse 21, right? Jesus literally went through the storm, got him one dude, and then peaced out. Right? He's entrusting the evangelization of ten cities to that guy. Right? I mean, that is for the one who will then go and reach ten cities. The most famous, naked, crazy guy, is they cross the sea for one. But Jesus does this all the time. I want to reach the Roman Empire. I'm going to get me a Paul. Strategically, surgically, I'm going to get me a Paul, and then I'm going to unleash him on the world. I'm going to, I'm going to plunder those ten cities, and I'm going to use this guy. Going around and telling people how much I've done for him. Right? Listen to this guy. I mean, what would his testimony be? Right? Like he goes to the first city, goes to his first friend and said, Listen, you know me. I was up living in death across on the wrong side of the tracks. Right? Breaking chains. Right? I was cutting myself. Right? Just mutilating myself. People came near me. I beat them. I fought them. I had 6,000 things wrong with me. Which I think it's always so hilarious. Christians, they always think they got like one thing wrong with them. Listen, you got 6,000 things wrong with you. Right? And he's like, you remember, you ever been to a French beach? You know how they don't wear clothes? That was me, brother. Right? Hopped up, running around, hurting people, hurting myself. And then I met Jesus. And he delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. It did cost 2,000 pigs. But praise God, I'm free. I don't have to do the unclean things that they had seized me and put me in bondage to do. Now he's made me clean and set me apart for his purposes to do things that are otherwise I would never be doing. Christian, listen to me. Have you ever... 
been surprised by the fact of what you used to do and then what you're now doing? Like your friends from high school or college may be surprised, but have you ever been surprised? Like found yourself, found yourself serving the Lord and you're like, what, what have I become? Right? And you just kind of step back and say, God must have done something crazy because there's, I have no business being in church today. Come on now. What is this guy's testimony? I was nearly an animal. I'd lost all reason. And Jesus delivered me. And now he sent me to you. Um, I want to finish with maybe one reality that has been repeated in churches over and again, but I, it's so strong that I think that it's, it bears repeating here. You have a God-shaped hole in your heart that only God can fill. You've got a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. You will not find eternal contentment. You will not find eternal joy or purpose or meaning until that hole is filled. I don't care how much church you attend. Church doesn't fill that hole. God alone does. You have a, a void deep down in the spiritual places of your soul that God alone can fill. You are made for God, and so everything else just doesn't plug in right. 6,000 unclean activities don't fill it. Sleep with all the people you want to sleep with, do all the drugs you want to do, drink, drink, drink Tennessee Drive whiskey. It ain't going to fill you. Accomplish everything you want. All right? Win as many Super Bowls as you want to, Tom Brady. It ain't fixing you. Accomplish everything you want. Get the job of your dreams. It doesn't fill you. Have all the money. More money than you can spend. Right? Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates. Apparently, you've you got to give half of it to your spouse at some point. All right? Like, get, get, get as many spouses as you want, Solomon. Sex is not filling this thing. Your marriage can't fi fix this. I, your spouse is awesome. I get it. They can't fill the void that is inside of you. And if you try to make them, you will frustrate them and you'll be disappointed inside of you. You can't fill the void with any other person but God. Money won't work. Games won't work. Come on, Colorado. Hobbies won't work. Outdoor activities won't fill it. Politics will not fill it. I mean, we're trying, right? Anybody need more politics in their life to discover politics ain't fixing what's inside you? It's not fulfilling what's inside of you? Food, eat all the food you want. Food ain't filling it. Get all the power you want, all the influence you want. Have all the people and all the fame that you want. Gain the whole world. And your soul will still be forfeited. All 
the idols in the world can't fill a space that was made only for the infinite God. They aren't big enough, they're not good enough, and they're not holy enough. And truth be known, they don't even love you like Jesus. He empties this man of what can't fulfill him so that he can occupy that space. You have a God-shaped hole inside the very being of who you are. Have you ever invited Christ to fill it? Let me pray for you. All across this room, with every head bowed and eye closed, maybe there's one here that would say, I have that hole in me. And I need Jesus to fill it. If that's you, I just invite you to lift your hand. I can see I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to agree with you. There is nothing that you're going through that Christ can't deliver you from. There's no demonic force in you that's greater than Him. His Word says... Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. In the world you'll have trouble, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Is there one here that would say, I just need prayer because I need that space in me filled. Christian, if you're here, I would love if you feel that God is leading you to go home. That as soon as I say that, there is a face that comes to your mind. There's a name that comes to your mind. And, and you want me to pray for you right now just to have courage over that conversation. I'd love to pray for you. Would you raise your hand and just let me know. And I'm going to agree in prayer for you. See that hand. See those hands. A lot of hands. Church, the Holy Spirit has led you. I'm going to pray for your courage and your obedience. And for anyone here that needs Christ to fill them, church, can we just stand in agreement for that to happen? See that hand. Dear Heavenly Father, we enter your courts with thanksgiving and your presence with praise. We all have been dead in trespasses and sin and under the sway of the demonic. It hasn't been like the movies. It's just been a whole lot of uh, chasing after sin. Doing a lot of unclean things. And so God, if there's one here ready for that space to be emptied so that it might be filled with your Holy Spirit, God, would you come and wash them clean? You saw the hands. You know the hearts and the situation better than any of us. Do eternal business in hearts. God, for my brothers and sisters who under conviction raise their hands saying they know there's, a, there's, some, there's some conversations to be had. There's some family to reach out to. There's some friends to talk to. God, they look at their own faculties, their own abilities, 
the stuff that they know and I'm sure there's some of them that are intimidated. They don't know what they're saying. God, give them grace to get their eyes off of themselves and get their eyes on you. Make them bold as lions. Holy Spirit, give them words that are not their words, that are your words to say in those conversations. God, I pray right now for the hearers, the people that you've put on their heart, would you begin now unsettling them and working in their hearts and minds to receive what some of our brothers and sisters in here by your Holy Spirit are going to say. Till the soil of their heart that the seed might find good soil to plant into. God, do the pre-work before we even show up. Be in this thing. God, would you empower their obedience and use it for more than what they imagine? God, take our humble offering of ourselves and just multiply it, God. Father, we thank you for this first Gentile that got saved and his witness to other Gentiles and the witness of the church for 2,000 years that found a bunch of pagans like us and that that witness is used by you to save us. Thank you, God, for your missions. Help us to find our purpose and place in it. We love you, and it's for your beautiful name that we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Would you stand with us and um, respond in worship?